solo and group clinicians alike are buzzing about Therapy Notes, the number one trusted EHR among mental health professionals. With live customer support 24 hours a day, seven days a week, and an extensive feature library, Therapy Notes is sure to streamline your workflow, giving you time to care more and worry less. Try them for two months free using promo code MODERN today. Are you looking for ways to attract and retain private pay clients? Thryzer is a payment platform for therapists built to help clients automatically tap into their out-of-network benefits and save on therapy up front. Check out our special link, join.thryzer.com forward slash modern therapist, and use the code modern therapists to activate $2,500 in free payments with Thryzer. You're listening to the Modern Therapist Survival Guide, where therapists live, breathe, and practice as human beings. To support you as a whole person and a therapist, here are your hosts, Kurt Widhelm and Katie Vernoy. Welcome back, Modern Therapists. This is the Modern Therapist Survival Guide. I'm Kurt Widhelm with Katie Vernoy, and this is the podcast for therapists where we talk about the things going on in our fields, the things that happen in our offices and our practices, and we are continuing to focus on men's mental health as Men's Health Awareness Month is still going on. We talked last week about working with men in therapy and some of the issues that have come up. And part of that discussion was about representation matters. And yep. there are a, a number of more female therapists in our field than male therapists. And we wanted to separate out the working with men episode from the Here's us working as men in the field episode. <laughs> so wanting to kind of separate those two issues out, we are focusing here on men being therapists and kind of what that means for our fields and the directions that that seems to be going. This is a really important topic. I did some research a while back and, you know, I was going from the kind of the whole sacrificial helping syndrome thing. And I was finding that 60, 70, 80%, I think you had more recently said 90% of our fields are women. And, you know, and from where I was coming from, that was like, oh, you know, there's the feminization of the field, which leads to wage, st wage stagnation or drops in wages. And so, you know, I was coming from that angle. But after our conversation last week, and we've had this conversation before, it just is really apparent that if we don't have an adequate number of men in the field, there's not representation. And I think there are problems with men getting adequate mental health services if there's not enough folks that can provide those services to them. So I'm 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 looking forward to diving in because I think the stuff that I've seen in, in kind of my other <laughs> angle is relevant here, but I think we, you know, want to make sure that we're focusing in on what's going on in the field, why is it a problem, and what can we do about it? In maybe the most manly way possible, I'm going to start this off with some statistics. And all right then. Pulling some data from Zipia.com, they say that there are about 146,000 clinical therapists currently employed in the United States. And this is master's level or master's and doctoral? Master's and psychologists. Okay. So out of that, 76.6% are women and 23.4% are men. And okay. you bring up about wages, and this is a field where, on average, women earn about 96% of what men do, which 
is very different than a lot of other fields. Seems to be one of the more balanced fields here. Still a little gap there, but they pull from Bureau of Labor and Statistics data, which has some problems with the way that they collect data. You know, it's something where they extrapolate monthly kind of earnings into being full-time. And a lot of the things that make our fields very accommodating to women who tend to be female head of households sort of things, flexible scheduling, being able to work a little bit less so that way you can take care of your kids seems to impact this and maybe a little bit more part-time dragging some of those wages down than it would necessarily if everybody was actually fully employed like the PLS statistics would say that they would need to be. So 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 you're saying that there's there is a difference. It's not a huge difference which is different from other fields, but in truth we're really looking at statistics that we don't know that we can trust very much because I mean, I think men and women potentially, you know, I think all genders probably have a little bit more flexibility as a therapist. But I think as we've talked about, men tend to have a different makeup of what they're actually doing, I think, than women. And so the, the, the it's not apples to apples necessarily. Sure. Okay. Men do tend to make more in fields, especially like education, where like talking about like faculty in graduate programs and department chairs and that kind of stuff, which overall seems to be trending more towards equality anyway. And this seems to largely be remnants of men who have held these positions for decades. And back when it was a field that was largely more male dominated of just being people who are much more experienced and holding those upper level positions that as they retire, those wages tend to be evening out in most places. So the the wages are are looking at everyone, not necessarily looking at seniority or position. It's just if you're in the field, what are your wages? And they're trying to compare it. You mentioned that there's been, it seems like that kind of this pendulum swing of where it was a, a highly male dominated field, and now it's a highly female dominated field. Why do we think that's happening? In the 1970s, this is according to both the American Counseling Association and the American Psychological Association, men made up about 70% of graduates in both the master's level and doctoral levels for uh, clinical facing work. Okay. Those numbers in both fields reached a balancing point in the early 1990s, and since that point has trended more and more female, and much more so at the master's level than at the doctoral level, but both are rapidly becoming more and more female-dominated than they already are. And this has contributed to, like any field where it tends to become more female-dominated, some of the wage stagnation stuff that you're talking about. We're no different than other fields that have seen as more and more women make up the workforce, the wages tend to go down for everybody. Which, I'm just going to say it sucks. Not the the topic of our episode, but I just think that sucks. Yeah, absolutely. Part of what that does is it creates barriers for some of these societal expectations of men who are societally supposed to be the breadwinners of families tend to look towards other fields that tend to pay better, especially for fields that don't take as much of a investment in order to enter into the fields. And we have plenty of discussions around 
you know, the ever increasing number of classes that people need to take, the ever increasing amounts of work that needs to be done at low or no pay, that for men who are assigned to be the breadwinners or assigned to be the ones who help out, you know, their family of origins or even launching their own families who need to have the stable paychecks to come in tends to be a big barrier for men entering into the field in the first place just because of that wage stagnation that seems to happen. Therapy Notes not only combines billing, scheduling, and notes into one easy-to-use software, they now also offer group telehealth, up to 15 clients in a group session at a time, and secure messaging features. And with their 24-7 customer service, they're ready to assist you no matter where your practice takes you. Therapy Notes allows you to do it all. Whether you're a solo clinician or part of a group practice, you'll have all the tools for success at your fingertips with Therapy Notes. Learn more at therapynotes.com and use promo code MODERN for two months free. I can see it also being something where as it becomes more and more female dominated, that this becomes looking like women's work. And and also just I'm not going to put up with this, even if I don't need to make the amount of money, I'm not going to put up with what you have to put up with in this field. Like it seems like men oftentimes are going to take that more into account, potentially because of societal expectations or based on just kind of <laughs> a different type of, of confidence or perspective that women who are coming in to help people are willing to sacrifice more than men are. Maybe. I don't know. Kind of as we talked about last week with, you know, embracing more types of masculinities that even a lot of the people within our field who are men tend to be not in the traditional masculine roles or the traditional masculine appearance of it. And so there's not really the role models to entice more men to come into the field in the first place, because as you're saying, it has moved into more and more of kind of a women's work, not necessarily because it's just what women do, but also because the discussions that we tend to have tend to be seen more in women's emotionality in the way that we talk about feelings in our work. And we Which is what we talked about last time. Exactly. Yeah. And so without a lot of great role models and great mentorship to encourage more men to come into the field, we tend to see this as a problem that continues to just double down on itself as, okay, this is where wages are stagnating. This is where there's more women coming into the room. More of the discussions end up being led around feminism and feministic ideals that tend to isolate and shut down men's ideas. Let's talk a little bit more about that, because I think when when we've been approaching this conversation, I think the the thing that I've been trying to grapple with is men typically have not not all men not all situations but but men typically have privilege in other spaces they're typically the focus of like medical research there's there's or historically have been there's this notion that men are constantly the focus and yet i recognize in our field that's not the case and so it's this weird complex complex understanding of kind of 
societal privilege, but not privilege within the field. And, and how do we navigate that? Because I think that's the thing that gets hard for me to understand. Not, not necessarily hard for me to understand. I think that's oversimplifying it. But that's the part where like my head has to get around this idea that in our classrooms, in our profession, that oftentimes men are mar marginalized. Like that feels weird for me to say. And so I think we need to talk about it in more depth because I think a lot of women who have been in the position of marginalization, typically I may not see the privilege that they're holding as women in this profession. And so I want to, I want to just be able to dig into it to really understand it more deeply. Sure. And to dive into that, it also helps to look at just kind of where, where the numbers are at currently that, okay. you know, as we mentioned it is becoming more female dominated. So we're looking at 65% of enrolled PhD students being female and that number continuing to grow year after year. We're looking at counselors and marriage and family therapists being at 75% female and that mm -hmm. number continuing to grow. We're looking at social work as a profession is at 90% female for licensees. And 96% female for social workers under the age of 35. Wow. Okay. So I went to grad school around 2005. In my cohort, there was two guys out of a cohort of 20. So that's 10%. 10%. Yeah, so we're we're at that ninety percent. <laughs> yeah, uh, I I don't know what was your experience. Was there a lot of dudes was, in in your program? There were a lot of dudes. Um, I think it was probably sixty forty. If I'm thinking about it, um, I don't know that all of them became clinicians. And mine was a clinical psychology with a little bit like some folks went on to research after mine. So I think you know when we talk about where men land in the profession, it may make more sense. But I actually felt like. It felt fairly even to me, but it may have still been more female dominated. I had like 12 or 15 folks and I'm trying to, it's so long ago. Sure. <laughs> it, was, it was like 2000, 1999, 2000. And so I think it felt probably 60, 40 women in mine, if I think about it. Maybe maybe at most 70, 30, but there were, it seemed like there were a lot of dudes to use your, your terminology. And I can say as a professor, what my experience has been over the last, I don't know how long I've been teaching now, seven plus years, that I don't know that I've ever had more than three male students in a class. Mm -hmm. And that's, you know, typically classes of 20 plus students. So yeah. these, these are trends that are, we're very much stuck in. And yeah. Part of this is also that there's also just a lot of faculty that's women. And some of this is problems that are in academia that as more and more programs rely on adjunct faculty who come in and teach a singular class, that those can tend to be where a lot of the women are in the education workforce. Tenured positions... Think overall, tenured positions are kind of trending down anyway, as universities find that you can just pay a bunch of adjunct faculty less. But yeah. there's also, because there's fewer, those tend to turn over less and are kind of still dominated by people who've been in the field for a very long time. Traditionally, you know, back to that argument of back when it was more imbalanced towards men in the field. Yeah. But again, if we're talking about representation mattering, if a lot of the faculty is female. 
then no. you're also not getting a lot of experience in the classroom of having the diversity of viewpoints that having male faculty would help to balance out some of the conversations. So, and we're going to point to a couple of research articles here, and we'll include all of our research that we're citing in our show notes over at mtsgpodcast.com. But one article that I'm looking at here is by Michelle Hayes and Runyon. This is called Faculty Members' Attitudes and Behaviors Towards Male Counselors in Training, a Social Cognitive Career Theory Perspective. This was from 2015 in the journal Sex Roles. And they interviewed faculty members and kind of separated them out as male and female faculty members. But in the discussions or in the views of how male students are treated from a faculty perspective, that male faculty members tended to see things that push back against a lot of the narrative that a lot of the female therapists in our field tend to be portraying. And I'm going to put this in the category of like, there's a lot of systemic things that we are wrestling with in our field as far as the traditional roles of, you know, white men's touch on things. And with that comes that a lot of female faculty are identified as holding that as a conversation in the classroom, surrounded by a, a lot of female students that can come across as male bashing, especially okay. to the one or two or three male students in the room who may have different viewpoints, but feel outnumbered and can't necessarily bring up those kinds of viewpoints for fear of lack of social standing within their cohorts. So the question I have around that is there are true societal issues, right? There are societal issues that outside of our profession have skewed toward male privilege. And even within our field, as recently as 50 years ago, our profession was more highly male. And so to speak about the shift and to speak about what has happened around male privilege in the classroom when the men in the classroom do not hold privilege in that space how do you get how do you have that conversation without male bashing without it being considered male bashing like how do you discuss the true complexity of the situation in a in a in a off-balanced classroom without it being male bashing. Like I, 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 this is a legitimate question. This isn't a gotcha. This is actually like, if we're going to talk about the real societal issues, there are things that are, I don't even like anti-male also seems like male bashing. Like it's something where there are real things we need to discuss about the disparities mm -hmm. in a room that the disparity is the opposite. And I don't know how to do that in a way that's going to welcome male voices. Well, and that speaks to the problem is yeah. I, I've known you for several years. I think that you're generally a decent person. Generally? <laughs> <laughs> right uh, back at you, dude. <laughs> you're generally a decent person, too. All right. Yes. But this is where, especially in, in the modern discourse of a lot of these uncomfortable conversations, mm -hmm. that it's also being able to nurture male voices. Now, I get how immediately everybody's bells are going to be ringing up. We need to nurture male voices here. 
Yeah. Well, in we a need, space, I we get need to, we need to, we need to nurture any minority group's voice. And it's hard, I think, for a lot of the current discourse of diversity and inclusion to recognize that just because privilege exists on the other side of a classroom door, the other side of a conference room door, the other side outside of a license, that yeah. this is a real minority within our profession. Yes, agreed. And there needs to be voices nurtured and held within this space because what's at risk is continuing to alienate them and continuing to push them out of the profession. Sure. So the way that you do it is the same way that you would do it for any other minority group in any sort of discussion and say, hey, do you have something that you want to say? And teach everybody how to listen to that voice because it's not something where it comes naturally. And so it's like, all right, make some space because just because we're the larger group in a room doesn't mean that we're right. It just means that we're maybe more popular within what's happening here and escalating some of the voices. I hear you and I agree with you. I think that the challenge in this situation that I see is that speaking about male privilege for some, even just as a, a fact of male privilege outside the room, what our clients are dealing with, you know, the, the, how they're, they're grappling with dealing with male privilege as a man sitting in that room with a lot of women and other folks, is that, does that feel like male bashing or is that a conversation that we can say, and what do you think about male privilege and how clients of other genders are being impacted by it? Like, is that what you're saying? Because I think some folks may have a hard time grappling with that. I mean, I see this more similar to not like any other minority group, because I think there is still inherent privilege that men hold. There's still inherent privilege that white people hold. I think it's more being in a conversation around diversity, equity, and inclusion about white privilege in a room where I'm one or two white people in the room. Like that feels more equal than talking about, you know, the concerns around other minority groups. I mean, it just it 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 because it feels more complicated than just nurture the voices because I think that there still is there are conversations that need to be had mm -hmm. that may be hard for male therapists to sit with, regardless of how nurturing the 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 facilitator of the conversation is. Right. Well, and this is my point: is that the facilitators of the conversations are missing that it's happening and it's and it's bashing. You and I were at a conference this year where I got soloed out by another attendee as mm -hmm. the, I think, the only white male in the room. Yeah. And, you know, I turned and looked at you and I'm like, how do I handle this? Because I don't want to interject myself within this conversation. And the, the speaker and the person running the microphones had no idea that it was happening. Yeah. You know, so this this is not a unique experience to anybody, no. but this is an experience that people are having and it's weird the juxtaposition that's happening of mm -hmm. we we can point this out for any minority group, but we're quick to dismiss it because in our field privilege exists outside the room. And so there's almost this 
pendulum swing counter, like we're going to dismiss your personal experience here because you have privilege someplace else. Thryzer is a payment platform designed for out-of-network therapy. As a therapist, you would use Thryzer to charge clients for sessions and collect your full rate up front. From the client's perspective, Thryzer links to their health plan, so insurance claims are automatically submitted for them upon every charge. From there, Thryzer manages the claims end-to-end so that your clients don't have to worry about manually submitting super bills or getting on calls with insurance. The best part? Thryzer allows clients to only pay their co-insurance portion for sessions, while Thryzer covers the rest of your fee and waits for reimbursement on their behalf. They also offer you an instant benefits calculator for free, allowing you to provide upfront transparency to prospective clients on their out-of-network coverage. Therapists only pay a standard 3% credit card processing fee per session with no additional fees. Visit join.thryzer.com forward slash modern therapist to get started and use our promo code modern therapists to receive $2,500 in waived fees for your sessions. And I want to clarify something because I think, I, I think the, the, the piece that I think is, is missing in how you're talking about it and, and for other folks to understand, I get it because I was there. You were soloed out in that room for sitting. You were not sharing an opinion. You were not doing anything. You were sitting there and you were just called out for basically being a white male that could have privilege. And so in, in a specific way. And so I think to me, I didn't, I didn't, I don't know if that was bashing or not. It, maybe it was bashing. I don't know. But I think the, the thing that you're talking about is that your experience was completely ignored in yes. that room. I think there's, there's an argument that separate from you being soloed out for no reason at all, um, your experience wouldn't be relevant in that room, given that it was a conversation about a completely different marginalized population. And so I think it's, it's that, that piece of, of recognizing that moment and how to acknowledge that moment because I think that's what, that's what we're missing is, is that moment. Right. We're not, you're not saying men need to be the center of conversation. No, I'm not in, in every space. It's that men are being ignored and, or the conversation. And I think what, I think what, I think I'm answering well, my question for well, myself. Is not like, only are you are you answering the question, you're going into kind of the other areas that this article by let Michelle. Me, let, me, yeah. let me just finish really quick. The, the other point that I was going to make is that the dismissiveness and the kind of lack of nuance around kind of men have privilege, men can be violent, you know, kind of the, the stereotypical stuff that can happen and just be accepted in the conversations that are primarily filled with female or, or other genders for and non-men audiences, basically. I think when men are sitting in those rooms is, is, is male bashing versus talking about the nuance of male privilege and inviting men in the room to talk about their experiences too. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. And, okay. and from the Michelle article, you know, some of the categories that these commentaries fall on, as you're describing, one is, anti-male beliefs that fall under stigma of this is what all men do. And as a guy, stereotypical. You said, yeah. And very uh, negative. Mm -hmm. Or what also ends up happening is being just kind of held 
invisibly of, okay, it's just a student and they don't have issues. And so what it leads to is from the student end of things, and this is highlighted in a 2021 article in Current Psychology by Kim Santana and DeHeim, is that a lot of the male experiences in classrooms tends to be where you tend to go to other people who look like you. Mm -hmm. And because not only are you potentially isolated out in the conversations within the classrooms, but you're also left out from all of your cohorts who go out for girls' night. You're not invited along to all of the extra social things that makes it to where you're really bonded within the other you know, ways of what a more balanced classroom or, or program might end up being. And so if you tend to go to where there's other people who look like you, you know, you, you automatically become best friends with the other guy in your program, but then you also tend to start hanging out with faculty more because yeah. those are the ones who look like you. And it leads into this, all right, well, there's this privilege within our field because the male students then get into a lot more leadership roles, but really it's also just because they're being excluded in a lot of other ways, just in the socialization aspects. I mean, that seems like a, a broad generalization. I mean, is that something that's actually in the research that there's a lot of this happening or is that, that was that your experience? It's a little bit of, of both here that okay. Okay. men, men tend to get pushed into leadership roles because they're the ones who are talking to the people who know about leadership roles. I think that, I mean, I, I don't think we can, and argue though that men are often more naturally seen as leaders too. I mean, so you would say you could say that that's a masculine trait, and that's yeah. one of the things of all right. If we need to embrace more masculinity in our field, that's one of the things. Is we can't just pick and choose like the the best parts of our favorite men. Like we have to embrace <laughs> all of the things that come along with masculinity here. Well, I, I will refer folks back to our, our episode on, you know, executives and emerging leaders, because I think we do need to have more diversity in leadership. But I think there is still a a bias toward choosing men as leaders because of how we've defined leadership for a very long time. So so I, I think in one of the articles you showed me that that's kind of this glass escalator of men are seen more likely to be leaders, they're hanging out with faculty, they're doing those things. And so then it's hard to, as, as someone with a different gender, to say like, oh, well, he's being marginalized because there's, there's potentially still a little bit of privilege there, right? I mean, tiny, well, th tiny, there's, there's, al but. there's also the pressure to take on leadership roles because you're a man. Okay, fair enough. Fair I mean, enough. so, and this is where I, I think in a lot of the, the gender and diversity classes and workshops that I've taken across my career have tended to blame all research as being male focused. But I think that there really hasn't been a broad research into what masculinity is. And that is missing and it's playing out in our field. And then it's playing out into people not actually necessarily seeking out our services. Sure. And so this leads us into how do we get more men into the field? And it's, you know, really something where we're 
maybe identifying it, the, the professional organizations, APA, American Counseling Association, other organizations like that are identifying these trends as happening, but just kind of seem to be throwing their hands up and saying, yeah, this is happening. Yeah, just reporting on the the issue. And it doesn't seem to be something where it's being seriously looked at of, all right, what does this look 15 years from now when, you know, all of the fields are 90% women? I'm I'm going to create maybe a, a worst case scenario here. Sure. But if that is where, again, going back to a point from last week of if we're identifying that men need to go and get mental health treatment and there's no men to get it from this then has the potential for reaching critical failure as a profession in being able to provide services. Sure. There is one article that I came across. This is from 2013 again by Michelle, this time with Hall, Hayes, and Runyon about a mixed method study of male recruitment in the counseling profession. This is from the Journal of Counseling and Development. And they had a list of different things that could work, including targeting undergraduates for more men to enter into graduate programs, particularly within the counseling fields, and letting men know that there are jobs available for them and roles available for them. And especially in areas where, and I'm a great example of a beneficiary of this, of serving particular areas of need where people are seeking out more male therapists. My been, you know, I'm a guy who works with teenagers. That has been a really good space for me to work in. And it allows for us to create, you know, going way back to our episode on creating career pathways and fixing the mental health system of like giving people a career pathway to follow. This is where you could fit in. And this is where it could be potentially financially beneficial for you to work in this way. Yes. And I think about the pathways in, it still is a long slog before you're making the good money. Right. And I think that is something where my experience, at least I, I know a lot of male therapists, I, I, I interact with you on a weekly basis. And I think it's hard for folks to get their head around working for free, working for very little for an extended period of time with a promise of potential financial stability or success six years down the road. I mean, I think there's folks that'll get past that, but I, I, I think this goes back to the bazillion episodes and we can link to some of them in the show notes around trying to improve the profession to actually make it something that's sustainable from the beginning. Because I think there's a lot of folks that just if they're the sole provider for their family or the primary breadwinner going through a lot of unpaid time doesn't make sense. And so you see folks that potentially are working for agencies and making a salary and having benefits and doing all those things, but it's not great wages, uh, especially not to start. And so I think it's that, that element of we have to fix this. And part of it is pushing back against the whole feminization and and wage stagnation. And I don't know how we do that. I don't know that there's been a lot of professions, and maybe this is something we can look into, that have been able to, to turn the tide there. 
I think there there has been, and I think in some of the ways that our field has embraced seeking out and retaining students of other diverse backgrounds, that there needs mm-hmm. to be a commitment of also looking at getting the retention and commitment of getting male students across the finish lines too. And, you know, just like we've t- targeted minority mental health therapists, uh, we are seeing growing trends of that in our field. It's going to take some time to play out, but there has to be a commitment from the field to be able to say, yes, men have issues. Those issues are going to be coming from people who probably want to see people like them as therapists. Yeah, we, we should probably say at some point in this episode that, yes, men can go to female therapists too, but there <laughs> is a... <laughs> There is still that people want to go to therapists who look like them and or have similar lived experience. I think yeah. I mean it's it's something where to me I don't know that we have to caveat it too much. I think that male therapists can help women. I mean, I think there's there's having more representation and diversity in our profession is good all the way around. Yeah. And this is an area where the trends are saying we are at risk of losing representation. Yes. We would love to hear your thoughts on this episode and any ideas that you may have. You can follow us on our social media. Uh, check us out in our Facebook group, the Modern Therapist Group. Once again, our references will be over at mtsgpodcast.com. And if you want to continue to support us in the work that we do, please consider becoming a Patreon member or support us through Buy Me a Coffee. And until next time, I'm Kurt Winhelm with Katie Renoy. Thanks to our partner, Therapy Notes, the highest rated practice management solution for behavioral health. Don't forget, use promo code MODERN for two free months. Remember to check out Thryzer. They are passionate about making out-of-network therapy work for everyone. Clients save upfront on therapy while therapists earn their full rate. Get started in minutes on join.thrizer.com forward slash modern therapist and use the promo code modern therapists and receive $2,500 in waived fees for your sessions. Thank you for listening to the Modern Therapist Survival Guide. Learn more about who we are and what we do at mtsgpodcast.com. You can also join us on Facebook and Twitter. And please don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss any of our episodes.